Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. When I was 10 years old, I went to boarding school. I'd begged my parents to send me to boarding school because my brother had told me all these amazing stories of his time in boarding school. The Sunday my parents dropped me off, I waved goodbye to them and I didn't look back. I was just so happy, so excited to be there. I hated boarding school. <laughs> I was lonely, I was homesick, I cried all the time. And I was so hungry. I didn't know what hunger felt like until I went to boarding school. Like I didn't know what the sensation of feeling hungry felt like until I went to boarding school. But there was never enough food, so I was often hungry. Six years passed, and I graduated, and then I started dreaming about coming to America. And I knew it would be hard because my parents couldn't afford to send me without a scholarship, so I applied, and I hoped that I would get a scholarship. I started getting the admission packets, and they were all glossy and shiny, and they smelled of America. It was like I was holding my dreams in my hand. So my parents started asking me, well, how, how are you going to afford to go to America? Do you have enough scholarship? I didn't. And then my dad said, you know, Onyeka, there are good schools in Nigeria. You can go to school in Nigeria. Your brothers went to school in Nigeria. And I tried to let the dream die but I'd spent so long dreaming and imagining what my life would be like in America that I, I just couldn't quite let it go. So I thought I would try again. I had a chance conversation with a friend and she told me she was applying to Reed, so I did. And then a few months later, I got an email from Reed asking if I was planning to attend. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough scholarship to come. So I waited a couple of days. And we didn't have a computer at home, we didn't have internet at home, so I walked up the street about 15 minutes to the cyber cafe, I logged on, and there was the email that I felt I'd been waiting my whole life to get. It said that I had this amazing financial aid package and I would be able to come to America. So. <laughs> So I printed it off, ran home, showed it to my mother. She was happy, she was dancing. I showed it to my dad, and he was in so much shock. All he would say was, $42,000, $42,000. So I, I came to America. And when I came, people would hear my accent, and they would say, where are you from? And I would say, I'm from Nigeria. And then they would say, oh, you speak English so, so well. And I was always so confused. I was like, don't these people know that we speak English in Nigeria? We were colonized by the British, we speak English. And then they would ask me about all the wild animals I must have seen growing up. And I was like, I've seen more animals in Portland than I ever saw in Lagos. <laughs> and, and they would, they would have me repeat myself because they couldn't understand me, and they would correct my English. And I said to this guy one time, I said, oh, I don't think I'm very photogenic. And he said, oh, don't you mean photogenic? 
And I remember thinking, why, why did you even bother correcting my English? You obviously understood what I said, so what's the point? Then I, I realized that there's a hierarchy in accents, so if I sounded British or had an Australian accent, then I was cool and I was sexy. But if I had a Nigerian accent, then people couldn't understand me and they felt the need to correct my English and whole conversations will halt because someone had to ask me where I was from and all the stupid questions that would follow. And it was exhausting. So I started masking my accent. I perfected a great American accent. A couple of years later, I went back home and it was a relief to be home. You know, I was surrounded by Nigerians, people who looked like me, people who sounded like me. One day I went to the market with my mother to buy some scarves and I asked the woman selling, do you have these scarves in a different color? And she just stared at me. So I asked her again, do you have these scarves in a different color? And she just stared at me. And my mother said, oh, she can't understand what you're saying. So my mom translated my English into English so this woman could understand me. And it was heartbreaking, you know, because here I was around my people, and again, I didn't fit in, they didn't understand me. And I couldn't even switch to an Nigerian language because my first language is English, because my dad told my mom that he communicated better in English because they speak a slightly different dialect of the same language. And I think the real reason is because he didn't want his kids to grow up speaking English with an ethnic accent. So, in that moment, I just felt disconnected. But I came back to America and it was fine, my accent was good. It actually helped me because when I applied for jobs, people didn't ask me where I was from, and they didn't ask me if I needed a work visa, which made it a lot easier to get a job. It's much easier to have that work visa conversation when you have the job. One day I was at work, and my brother called and told me, that my dad had collapsed, and, and actually he had died. And, and in that moment, I knew that I could never go back home. Because the last time I was home, my, my family and I, we had this amazing time of bonding. And on the ride back to the airport, my dad and I, sat in the back seat and we just held hands the entire drive to the airport, which is really long thanks to the traffic in Lagos. So we, we spent a long time just holding hands. And then in the, in the airport we had a super long goodbye. My family is notorious for their long goodbyes. So I, I hugged my mom and my dad, then my brothers. So my mom and my dad a second time, then my brothers. Then my mom and my dad a third time. <laughs> And then as we walked through the security, as I walked through the security line, I waved goodbye to them until I couldn't see them anymore. So when my brother called and told me that my dad had died, I just knew that I could never go back home because I wanted to hold on to that picture that I had in my mind of the last time I saw my dad alive. And I didn't go back home for his funeral because I wanted to hold on to that picture and I don't regret it. And so I started focusing on building my life in America, making this my home. And I was getting married to an American after all. So after we got married, I eagerly dropped my name and became Onyeka Jones.
and because my, my dad's family just weren't very nice, and so I wanted to distance myself from, from them. So now I had an American name to go with my American accent. And one day, my, my husband and I applied for a bank bonus, and there was a mix-up, so we got denied, and he appealed both our cases. And a few days later, he got a check in the mail. A week later, I got a silly letter in the mail telling me, oh, we're investigating the situation. And I was like, this is bullshit. I mean, there is no difference between my husband and I except for our first name. So the combination of his first name and surname identifies him as a white man. And the combination of my first name and surname identifies me as a black woman. Once I went to Walgreens and I tried to buy a gift card and they wouldn't let me pay with a credit card. They told me it was against their policy. A manager came over and assured me it was against their policy to buy a gift card and pay with a credit card. A few hours later, my husband walks in, buys a gift card, pays with a credit card, no problem. When we go grocery shopping, my husband, we take a reusable bag and he puts the groceries in the bag. And the first time I saw him do that, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, what's the problem? I'm like, someone's going to think you're stealing. And he said, well, I do this all the time. I don't have any issues. And I just know what someone who looks like me and did that, someone would think I was stealing. And so I said, becoming awakened to what it's like to live as a white person in America, I suddenly had front row seats to how white people are treated, the implicit trustworthiness that they're afforded. And it took me 12 years to realize this because I grew up in Nigeria, I never had to think about the color of my skin, and my husband never had to think about the color of his skin. And I decided that I didn't want my future brown kids to grow up in a country where they had to think about the color of their skin, because it's exhausting. So I couldn't go back home to Nigeria, and I didn't want America to be my home either. Once, this guy said to me, can I call you African-American? And I said, I'm not American. I don't even have an American passport. I have an Nigerian passport. I'm not American. <laughs> and I, I suddenly didn't want this perfect mask that I had put on to blend in, to survive, to sound American. I didn't want it anymore. So I've been slowly trying to take off the mask to reclaim my identity as a Nigerian who now lives in America. I've been reconnecting with my roots. My mom has been teaching me my language, finally. Yeah. <laughs> and now I would like to say a few words to you in my language, Igbo, Dalushine, which simply means thank you very much.